Good afternoon, everyone. It's a little past one o'clock, so let's get started. My name is Jerry Hahn from Purdue University Sirius. I'd like to welcome you to the August 12th session of the Sirius Summer Security Seminar Series. We've been very pleased with the lineup we have in place and hope that you'll benefit from hearing from the cybersecurity experts and practitioners that we have assembled for you at these weekly seminars. These sessions would not be possible without the support of the members of the Sirius Strategic Partnership Program. To learn more about Sirius and the Sirius Strategic Partnership Program and how your organization may benefit, please contact info at sirius.purdue.edu. During the presentation, keep, please keep your line muted. If you have a question, please submit your questions via the Q&A function. We'll also be monitoring the raise your hand function on WebEx. It's my great pleasure to, our, to introduce our speaker for today. Shimon Modi is a seasoned cloud cybersecurity product and people leader with over 10 years of experience and a proven record of launching leading edge B2B SaaS solutions. Throughout his career, Dr. Modi has worked in technical and leadership roles in a wide range of cybersecurity initiatives in industry, government, and academia. He is currently principal product manager at Elastic focused on building security solutions. Previously, he was head of product at TrueStar Technology where he led engineering and data science teams in building an innovative cyber intelligence management platform. He was also a member of the Accenture Technology Labs where he led cybersecurity initiatives focused on threat intelligence and the Internet of Things. Dr. Modi also has served as a technical expert for U.S. national standards and a delegate for the U.S. national body for ISO biometric standards. He's authored a book, co-authored several book chapters, and published over 15 technical journals and conference articles. Dr. Modi received his bachelor's, master's, and PhD from Purdue University, so welcome home. With that, I'll turn it over to Shimon. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, appreciate that. Let me go ahead and just share my screen, make sure everybody can see the content I want to share. And, and it looks good. It looks great, perfect. All right, well, good morning, good afternoon, and uh, if people are joining from other uh, time zones, good evening. Uh, thank you, thank you again for having me here for the Serious Security Seminar Series. Uh, I guess, Jerry, thank you for that introduction. Uh, you've already covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about, but um, I am I'm extremely proud and, 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 and honored to be back here at, uh, at Sirius uh, doing this presentation. As Jerry mentioned in my introduction, uh, I'm currently at Elastic. That's the company behind Elasticsearch, Lockstash, and Kibana, the more, the more popular open source um, search engine that folks may be familiar with. And I'm part of the security team that's building out its security solutions. Uh, over the last 10 years, since I've moved on from, from Purdue, I have been focused um, heavily on researching, building, and launching a variety of detection response capabilities. And uh, those, are, those are some of the learnings and, and findings that I want to share with you today um, as I walk through what is, uh, how do you separate out hype from reality? Uh, when you're talking about cyber threat intelligence uh, as part of today's security operations, uh, and uh, just a just a just a little fun fact, I was I was I presented at the security seminar series back in 2008, uh, almost 12 years ago. Uh, so so thank you for having me back. Uh, feels 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 like a great homecoming. Uh, uh, I'm I'm a Boilermaker through and through, loud and proud. So so happy to happy to be uh, here 
uh, as part of Cirrus's Security Seminar Series. So a quick, a quick outline, right? The topics that I want to go through today. Uh, just want to set the set the stage with uh, with a little bit of background around evolution of SOCs. This may be obviously uh, second nature to a lot of the folks uh, uh, on the on the presentation today, but it is it is it is uh, illustrative and helpful to kind of set the frame and and lay the groundwork for uh, why cyber threat intelligence has become such a core part of uh, the evolution of SOCs as we talk about it today. And but along with that evolution and along uh, with the promise, there's a lot of hype that has been created around cyber threat intelligence. And I want to, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges that that uh, that are making uh, CTI and its operationalization uh, a little bit more challenging than what was anticipated when threat intelligence was being talked about. And and then want to want to end with some. Uh, some, some real opportunities uh, and challenges that need to be addressed uh, to be able to make TTI more 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 operational. Uh, this is this is around a lot of research work that I have done over the last uh, eight to 10, 10 years, and would love to share it with the audience here. <clears throat> so as we as we as we talk about uh, the SOC, right? SOC has changed multiple times and has evolved uh, since it, since they were first introduced almost. 20, 30 years ago, depending on which, which literature you decide to read. Uh, but one thing that is that is still common to the SOC's mission and how it's organized that is that it is a team that's composed of analysts that's, that's organized to detect, analyze, respond to, and report on cybersecurity events. A SOC is not a technology. A SOC is not just a physical space. A SOC is really people, process, and technology, right? And the and the objectives that a SOC tries to address are, I would say, kind of uh, fivefold. Uh, they can be broken down into the following: around proactive prevention through continuous monitoring, uh, to continuous scanning. That's number one. Uh, number two is around just monitoring and, de and detection of potential intrusions as they happen in real time. Uh, then go then you go into more of the response once once uh, incidents and uh, events detected, uh, how do you respond to them? Uh, and then SOCs also serve the need of providing situational awareness uh, around reporting on status of different cybersecurity incidents. And then there's the, the platform work, the engineering and the operation of the technologies that form the basis of, of, uh, of a SOC. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at this graphic, threat intelligence is kind of like the latest entrant into, into the SOC space. Uh, I guess you could call AI ML uh, in in there as well, but I see AI and ML as as still being a, a few years away from from being operational. Uh, as I talk to customers, users, look at uh, conferences uh, with security security operations folks, threat 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 intelligence and uh, being able to to separate the wheat from the chaff. Is, is is top of mind for for a lot of uh, operational leaders as well as folks who are down in the trenches trying to alert and triage uh, detection alerts. And so so when we when we when we talk about threat 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 intelligence, it's also important to kind of understand some of the things, some of the events that have happened over the last ten years, which have which have made uh, cyber threat intelligence. Uh, bring up or, or become more and more top of mind and more and more 
uh, fundamental to a SOC. I, almost 10 years ago, uh, Stuxnet happened. Uh, enough said about that. But as I was putting putting this together, uh, I came to a realization that it was it was it was almost 10 it was almost 10 years ago where Stuxnet really brought brought into the mainstream uh, just just how targeted attacks can can be uh, uh, can be executed. And then going into 2011, there was the, the RSA data breach, the Sony data breach, uh, one of the many Sony data data breaches. Uh, and then 2013 uh, is what I consider kind of an instrumental and a pivotal year for, for cyber threat intelligence. Uh, Mandiant made its APT1 report uh, public, which like really talked about how to look at actors, tactics, campaigns, and how do, how do actors go about uh, achieving their objectives. And, and then uh, the target breach really, again, brought cybersecurity into, into the mainstream. And that breach was also illustrative in, in really bringing to the forefront that your four walls and your perimeter is not all that needs to be defended. Uh, uh, attacks, especially now in, in this hyper-connected world, in the, in, in, in the era of ecosystems, uh, can, can originate outside your perimeter and can, and can easily propagate inside. And then 20, 20, 2015 is, is like another pivotal year as I as I kind of look at the rise of uh, exploit kits as 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 a service. Uh, talking about Angular, Neutrino, uh, and and Magnitude, Rig, all of these really really made uh, exploits that much easier that much easier to execute and deploy. And phishing, right? Like we've been we've been we've been uh, mired in this world of phishing over the last few years. It's become more and more top of mind. Um, and and COVID COVID nineteen really really brought that brought that message home too. Within within a month uh, of COVID COVID nineteen lockdown starting to happen, uh, Google saw more than eighteen million malware and phishing emails related to COVID nineteen scams in the month of April. Uh, these were there were a variety of different tactics. They were either impersonating government organizations, asking for donations, uh, but their but their objective was. Uh, get in uh, and 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 take over the system either for either either for uh, ransomware campaigns or data 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 exfiltration objectives. Um, all of that being said, though, there's there's there has been an increasing sophistication with which attackers come after after organizations, and and that's where the notion of uh, looking at how do the defenders start changing their detection and response goals uh, has also uh, become, become front and center. Defenders have started thinking about how much pain can they cause to the adversaries when they can detect attacker tradecraft. Uh, really thinking about it from an economic standpoint. And this is, this is, this is where, I, where I feel uh, the work that was done by uh, David, David Bianco where he published the pyramid of pain is is again one of the foundational elements that have that have changed how uh, SOC analysts and SOCs think about detection and response goals. Uh, and, and I'll just go through this real real quick. Um, if you're if you're familiar with it, uh, just just bear with me. If you're not, uh, I would I would highly highly recommend read up read up on this on the specific uh, uh, article. There are plenty of blogs available out there on on. Uh, on the internet around the pyramid of pain. 
But the, but the whole idea is that if you as a defender are just trying to block and tackle on hash values, that is trivial for attackers to, to, uh, to overcome. Um, and as you keep moving up the pyramid, as you go from hash values to IP addresses, IP addresses, if you block and tackle on IP addresses as a defender, the attacker still can, can quite easily circumvent your monitoring and detection controls. Uh, domain names is, is, is simple. And then when you start going into network and host artifacts, that's where uh, you start changing, changing the economics and really uh, starting to inflict pain on the attackers. Uh, being able to block and tackle and monitor network and host artifacts now that makes it makes it a little bit more uh, more challenging for for the attackers to to go undetected, and when you can get to TTPs, really understanding the techniques, tactics, what kind of infrastructure are they using to launch their attacks, uh, what kind of exploit kits are they are they are they using, uh, and being able to set up monitoring and detection controls around TTPs. That's where uh, you can start inflicting a lot of pain on the attackers. Uh, easy, 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 easy enough to talk about it. Uh, quite difficult to put it put in put in practice, especially when you talk about being able to collect all the details that are required to formulate the TTPs and then convert them into something that can be deployed within your uh, detection and prevention controls. But the pyramid of pain is, 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 a, is a fantastic uh, way to kind of think through the economics of attackers and how do you, how do you change that. And so, so the last, last, I would say, um, five to 10 years have been, have been heavily focused on how do, we, how do we use as much information that is available within your four walls and beyond your four walls to close what I call the attacker's window of opportunity. And so if you, if, you, if you kind of think about the attacker's movement going through the phases of recon, weaponizing, delivering, exploiting, installing, uh, creating, creating a connection with a command and control server and then acting on the objectives, which is, which is also like how, how the Lockheed Martin kill chain uh, put it, most of the detection and prevention controls that we have had uh, are good at uh, uh, activating when the attack has already happened or the attack is in progress. Uh, there, is a, there is obviously an increasing desire to what I call, and borrowing a term from systems development testing, shift left. How do you, how do you move further and further up the attacker movement and the attack state so that you can, you can get an understanding of what's, what, what attack may be coming in the pre-attack stage while the attackers are going through their recon uh, while they're trying to weaponize to, to, to deploy their exploits. And, and so in, this, in, this, in this, this kind of new normal and with the increasing level of sophistication that's being shown by the attackers and, and the increasing level of sophistication that SOCs need to embrace to be able to, to defend their enterprise and to manage risk, uh, they're trying to solve for or the following kinds of use cases, right? Uh, how do you get better telemetry enrichment so that you are better at deploying new blocking and monitoring rules? Um, vulnerability prioritization, instead of just being this, being an inward looking vulnerability scanning methodology, uh, 
how do you also look beyond your four walls to understand which ones are being exploited in the wild, uh, which ones are being exploited by by attackers uh, for the kind of sector that you reside in. Uh, vulnerability prioritization for a financial services uh, company could look very different than an oil and gas company. Uh, and so, and so being be, being able to look beyond your four walls to understand prioritization uh, are the kind of things that SOCs are trying to solve for. Uh, brand and social media monitoring, right? In this day and age, uh, misinformation um, uh, not only is is like is like like harmful to 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 an enterprise's uh, operations, but also to its to its to its brand risk, right? Um, and and so brand and social media monitoring are becoming more and more top of mind for SOCs. Which, which wasn't the case uh, 10, 10 years ago. Uh, threat hunting, uh, as, as, as SOCs become more and more of a, what, I, what, what I loosely call a data lake oriented architecture, uh, there are now capabilities where, where mature SOCs can go into hypothesis uh, formulation and then testing their hypothesis to, to, to try and understand proactively what kind of attacks could be uh, could be executed, or are there undetected attacks going on uh, within the environment? And phishing monitoring, like I like I, like I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, it, two years ago, uh, if somebody had told me that there are full-time stock analysts sitting on phishing inbox emails, just detecting and triaging uh, phishing emails being reported from within the organization, within the enterprise, I would have laughed. Uh, but that is the case. It is it is it is uh, super illustrative to kind of talk to talk to enterprises and and SOC analysts and try and find out how they spend their time. And and right now the only way we we scale or try and address some of these problems is is by throwing more human analysts at the problem. And as we know, uh, humans humans don't scale. And so enter as as SOCs are trying to trying to solve for these right. Uh, Enter cyber threat intelligence as as like one of the capabilities that can that can help uh, move socks towards uh, the shift left philosophy, uh, help socks understand what's going on beyond their four walls, become more proactive with their detection and 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 response controls. But there is there is there's there are a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, you look at cyber threat intelligence and 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 pick up. Pick up either research articles, blogs, uh, uh, trade, trade, trade uh, uh, articles. Uh, it is kind of like touching an elephant from different angles, and then think coming, come, coming up with your own view of what it what it means. Uh, cyber threat intelligence is not just log data plus intel feeds plus a correlation engine. Yes, that is there are there are definitely elements of that in cyber threat intelligence, but um, that would just be what I would call a purely technical and reactive component of threat intelligence, right? You also need risk and business context that needs to be accounted for. Uh, cyber threat intelligence is also not just producing advisories and reports around imminent uh, campaigns. Uh, and, and obviously there are, there, there, there's elements of this within cyber threat intelligence, uh, but it just cannot be an exercise in writing reports. Uh, because at the end of the day, you need to make it operational uh, and you need to have an impact on your own detection and monitoring controls, either, either through evaluating how well our current controls working or how do, the, how do current sort of controls need to be updated to, 
to 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 get better at uh, at uh, detecting attacks that could be imminent. And so, um, the way I like to think about uh, cyber threat intelligence is the act. The information has to be actionable, and it has to be relevant to your past, present, or future cyber 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 events. Right? Cyber threat intelligence is not just future looking, and it's not just reactive. Uh, it is it is it is a three 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 sixty view of what what's happened, what's happening, and what could potentially happen. And the sources of these information could be different. What's happened in the past could be your own internal uh, threat intelligence. What's happening currently could also come from from your from your own internal logs as well as talking to your peers. And future cyber events are 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 absolutely. Uh, uh, impacted and 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 affected by by geopolitical situations by by um, uh, the kind of uh, business goals that an enterprise may may have uh, based on their own business plans right and so so as you think about actionable information uh, and what is and what is relevant to past present and future it all it needs to be a holistic view and so uh, next what I what I do want to talk a little bit about is the types of threat intelligence uh, and and what I'll go through are like uh, what I see as a hierarchy of cyber threat intelligence information, and all three are are foundational and critical. Uh, and as 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 organizations think about cyber threat intelligence and uh, integrating that into their SOCs, it is it is it is important not to over-index on one one or the other. So to begin with, like the first. Uh, the first category of cyber threat intelligence is what I would call tactical. Right? This is this is where you're trying to understand the cyber activity that is being observed either to your own logs uh, um, or through through getting technical information from your peers, partners, and beyond your four four walls. Generally, tactical information uh, consists of things like indicators of compromise, IP addresses, reputation lists, um, malware hash lists. Uh, things things that can be easily deployed within your detection and monitoring controls, but things are that are also easy for uh, for attackers to uh, to to change. The second uh, uh, category of cyber intelligence is what I would call more operational. Uh, this is this is where you're trying to move into setting up your own cybersecurity operations to be to be more focused on historical perspective around threat activity, uh, understanding how, how attackers move along the cyber, cyber kill chain, uh, or, or depending on whichever threat model that, that your organization uses. And setting up your detection and monitoring controls uh, based on this historical data and a better understanding of the, of the, of the attacker. Uh, uh, and, 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 and this is this is this is where you start moving into the realm of uh, of creating sets of monitoring controls that go after uh, after specific sets of actors and campaigns. And then the third one is strategic uh, threat 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 intelligence. Uh, this is the realm of really understanding threat actors, creating dossiers on threat actors. Understanding what their what their what their motives are, uh, trying to understand if the threat actors are are really targeting your 
specific uh, market segment or not. And then putting in uh, proactive mitigation actions in place uh, against, against that threat, threat, threat activity. Uh, strategic threat intelligence typically is, is uh, what, you, what you find in reports, advisories, uh, uh, be on the lookout kinds of, uh, kinds of uh, infor, infor, informational reports. And, and so as you, as you think about these types of threat intelligence, uh, then comes the fun part, which is how do you, how do you actually make it all, all, all operational? And over the last eight, eight, eight to 10 years of, of like having worked on several cyber threat intelligence uh, initiatives, building products around cyber threat intelligence, uh, I've kind of formulated um, an, an operational model that, that, that SOX can, can look to, uh, to, better, to better integrate cyber threat intelligence into their monitoring and detecting, uh, detection controls. Right? Uh, either way you slice it, there's, there's, there's like, I would say these five core capabilities that a cyber threat intelligence uh, uh, initiative needs to have. The first one is around being able to collect threat intelligence, uh, being able to collect just intelligence, uh, internal as well as external. Uh, as I have spoken to more and more organizations, one of the most overlooked sources of intelligence is what you have already gathered as part of your uh, cases and tickets and, and, and uh, resolution of various incidents. This historical data typically gets locked up within your case management system uh, and, and, and lives there until somebody, uh, somebody who, can, who kind of remembers having worked on that particular case uh, remembers that, oh yeah, I had actually seen this in, this in the past. We've already resolved this kind of an issue. Uh, here's intelligence that we can, we can re, re, redeploy. This is, this is fairly, fairly difficult for organizations to do today. Uh, so collection is kind of the first, first capability. Second is around normalizing this information. Intelligence comes in all, all kinds of uh, shapes, sizes, formats, uh, and even when I talk about the types of threat intelligence, tactical, operational, and strategic, being able to normalize all this, uh, all this information into a common data model is, is, is uh, is critical and foundational. Uh, being able to prioritize the threat intelligence so that you can decide what of this is relevant to my organization and 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 uh, which of these threat intelligence uh, will I really focus on. Uh, making it part of the analysis uh, of, of your own threat analysis models, uh, whichever you may be using, uh, and then integrating and deploying. Uh, this often uh, doesn't get as much attention as it should, but I'll go into why uh, the integration and deployment of threat intelligence, be it your own bespoke uh, capabilities or an off-the-shelf capability that you have bought. Integrating and deploying it within your SOC processes and technology stack is, is, is still where a lot of SOCs have challenges, and which is why silos are created uh, which was the whole point of threat, threat, threat intelligence was to kind of break down silos, but um, another silo inadvertently gets created. I just want to quickly, quickly go through some of the some of the challenges around uh, around these capabilities and things to things to 
to look out for. Uh, as you think of the, the first two capabilities, collecting and normalizing, um, I want to, I just want to quickly, quickly uh, point you to, to this uh, uh, survey that was done by, by fans. Uh, they, they published it in 20, 2019, and it was a survey around CTI topics. There were 585 respondents uh, in this in the survey, and you can just go top to bottom uh, of the survey results, and you can see the variety of threat intelligence data that that, that these respondents are trying to uh, trying to trying to work with. Uh, it's not just one or two, right? There's 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 quite a few threat intelligence sources, and each of those have uh, different types of formatting associated with it, different types of intelligence embedded within it. Uh, and they come in uh, over over different channels. Uh, they come they come they come over an RSS feed, or they sometimes uh, have have REST APIs associated with it, or sometimes they come over straight up email as an as an uh, as a PDF that that's attached to it. And so uh, as you're as you're thinking about uh, about CTI uh, capabilities, especially as it relates to collection and normalization of information. Uh, there are standards out there that the industry is working on to address the specific challenge. Uh, STICS, uh, which stands for Structured Threat Information Expression, uh, is is it's kind of one of the uh, one of the most uh, adopted standards currently. Uh, the subcommittee that that works on the standard uh, resides within OASIS, and it has gone through uh, multiple evolutions uh, since it was first introduced back in I think 2014. Uh, today, STICS. The way STICS operates is, uh, as part of this taxonomy, they have defined 18 different standard data objects uh, that can that can define uh, the the spectrum of cyber threat intelligence data data objects. Uh, so so they have a taxonomy, but on top of the taxonomy, they also define an ontology, uh, the relationship between between these these different data data objects, um, and and so so. The whole goal of STICS uh, is to enable organizations to share intelligence with one another, uh, as well as allowing uh, security analysts to better understand uh, in, an, in a machine-readable way and, a machine, uh, and in an automated deployment way, uh, be able to bring in computer, uh, what kind of attacks are, are they're most likely to see, uh, and, 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 and really uh, try and move towards uh, this whole goal of shift left. Uh, without standards, you are now trying to throw humans at the problem. You're trying to throw human, human analysts uh, at, at collection and normalization activities, which is, which is, which is again, uh, not, not, uh, not the way we are gonna get to our end, end objective. Uh, moving on to the prioritization and the analysis uh, uh, challenges. Right. Uh, I'll I'll say this having 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 worked with a number of different organizations, having having looked at different intelligence feeds uh, and intelligence sources, uh, determining the importance of threat data is an, an exact science. Uh, a lot of times, it can depend on the person uh, who is actually doing the doing the analysis, uh, and then layer on the ability to kind of correlate the threat data to an organization's attack surface. Uh, also, is super time consuming. Often organizations don't even have a proper uh, mapping of their attack surface. Uh, there, I, I can, 
there are so many times that I that I that I speak with organizations uh, who still don't have a full view of of their of their assets either through a CMDB or through some kind of other asset monitoring program. And so and so some of the foundational elements are required for you to be able to correlate the threat data. Otherwise, again, you are falling back to and running to to more of a human driven process. And uh, and translating the threat data to business risk. Uh, again, uh, this is this is right now done through a very human human intensive process. Uh, when it's done, oftentimes uh, threat 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 data still lives at the tactical level, uh, and converting it to business risk is 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 uh, is something that organizations don't even try and do, uh, just because they know it is uh, it is it is super super uh, time consuming and challenging. And, and again, just want to point you to, to another survey that SANS did. This is one from 2018. And uh, of, of, of all the things that uh, the respondents said they were, they were not satisfied with as it relates to CTI, uh, the most respondents were not satisfied with the analytics around, uh, around threat intelligence, as well as a simple thing around removal of expired IOCs. Uh, Malware hashes, IP addresses—they all have what what I what I call like a half-life, right? And 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 the further away you go from you have uh, in in as as part of your detection and monitoring controls. And so, being able to remove expired IOCs is 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 critical, but it's still a difficult challenge. And and so. Just, just want to quickly quickly go through some models that organizations have used, and as you think about CTI, uh, embracing one of these one of these models is 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 important for threat intelligence to become operational within your SOC. Uh, the Diamond Framework is 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 one one of the heavily used uh, models uh, within within cyber within CTI, and as a bridge between CTI and and SOC analysts. Now I'll say this, right? Like, uh, the, the famous line: "All models are wrong, but there's but some are some are some are useful, and you have to take that take that with a grain of salt." But uh, but it also also can be can be applied to CTI uh, models. Uh, there isn't one perfect one, uh, but but there are several out there uh, for for like you to choose from. And and so uh, what this model really emphasizes is relationships between four basic components. The adversary, the capabilities of the adversary, the infrastructure, and uh, and the and the victims, and so just just a simple simple uh, walkthrough of the diamond model. Uh, let's say we are applying the diamond model to a phishing attack. So the victim detects a phishing attack, uh, which 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 starts at the bottom the bottom vertex of the victim. Uh, the the next pivot that you would make from victim is to look at the capability. Uh, the phishing attack contains malware within the C, uh, with like C2, C2 domains. So, so, so now we have moved to the capability vertex. Uh, that capability then should lead you to to a better understanding of the infrastructure. Uh, you can you can do that by seeing uh, what does this command and control uh, resolves to which specific IP IP address, right? That command and control domain, uh, and then from that resolution. You can then get a better understanding of the adversary by looking by doing an uh, who is lookup, 
for that registrant information. Now again, this is a this is a overly simplified view of 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 how uh, a phishing attack works, but you can apply this thinking of pivoting between victim capability and infrastructure and adversary capabilities to uh, to get a better 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 picture and um, and apply your threat intelligence. Uh, Cyber, cyber, the cyber kill chain by Lockheed Martin again, uh, really, really popular in the in the in the SOC world and and the cyber cyber analyst world. Uh, first introduced back in uh, 20, 2011. Uh, and what this what this gives you is a very uh, uh, I would say a good way of understanding the different stages of an attack that an attacker must go through, and it helps security teams to really understand their controls and do they have enough controls at, at like each stage of the attack that an attacker needs to go through? Uh, and then moving moving on to uh, the MITRE ATT&CK uh, framework. This is this is one of the newest entrants into into the uh, frameworks world of cybersecurity. Uh, MITRE MITRE releases and essentially uh, it is it is a knowledge base of adversary tactics and techniques that are that are based on real world observations. And and the and the and the whole goal is to be able to use the knowledge base uh, as a foundation for development of specific threat models, as well as uh, again mapping your controls to understanding which of these tactics and techniques uh, that are part of MITRE attacks knowledge base are is your program capable of of detecting and monitoring. Uh, it has a very tactical focus. Right? Uh, there's a need to communicate adversary behavior and the associated tactical and technical details. And that's what MITRE, MITRE attack uh, is, is focused on resolving. And so between these three frameworks, uh, you, get an, you get an idea of the kind of connective tissue that can be created between cyber threat intelligence and making it, making it operational within the analytical uh, flow of your uh, detection and response workflows. And then uh, the last, the last part I want to, uh, the last capability I really want to just touch upon is the integration and deployment, uh, which is, which is, which is obviously not as sexy as the analysis component, uh, but it's, but it's still extremely, extremely critical. Uh, again, just want to point you to, to a survey that that ESG did. Uh, this was again back in like 20, 2018. And out of 412 respondents, they found that 40% of respondents had between 10 and 25 security tools. And another 30% use 26 to 50 cybersecurity tools. Uh, so as you as 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 uh, cybersecurity uh, programs think about the kind of integrations that are that are required to make cyber threat intelligence operational, you are looking at connecting to connecting your capabilities to 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 multiple tools. And and the image that you see at the bottom is. Uh, it's something that Momentum uh, Momentum Partners releases uh, pretty much every every year. They are a they are a cyber cybersecurity advisory that works with uh, early stage startups. And again, this 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 graphic is representative of the number of vendors and the number of segmentations that are created within the cybersecurity market. And pretty much, SOCs deploy at least one tool within within uh, within each of these segments that you see, and sometimes they deploy multiple tools within each of these segments. 
And so it gives you a sense of the integration and deployment challenges that, that, that need to be acknowledged uh, as, as like part of uh, making CTI operational. Uh, so I just want to spend, spend a, little, a little time on uh, kind of like the road, the road ahead, right? Uh, uh, obviously, there are, there, there, are, there are a lot of uh, upside to, to making CTI operational within the SOC. And I'll go through like three three different topics that that I've personally done a lot of a lot of research on uh, that I think are are again foundational to to making CTI more operational. Uh, the first one is around extracting intelligence from unstructured text. Whenever we talk about CTI, there's 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 an underlying assumption that this information is available to us within in well 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 formatted data sets that can be uh, that can be deployed within your SIM, that can be deployed within your, your IDS, IPS. Uh, that actually is not the case. Thread, thread data uh, and thread collection and analysis is still a largely manual effort. Uh, and, 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 and something, something that, that, that I've worked on uh, in the past is, uh, how, do you, how do you bridge this gap of human analysts pouring over reports, advisories, PDFs, and then copying and pasting IOCs, putting them into CSVs, and then delivering them to to uh, to to SOC analysts so that they can deploy them within their detection and response workflows. And so, automating this extraction and representation is still an open challenge. Uh, if you're if you're if you're interested in this, uh, I did a presentation at Shmookon in 2015 uh, on this topic where we where we discussed how uh, NLP techniques can be used to take data from advisories and convert them into into sticks uh, sticks represent uh, sticks representation data uh, and and so to be to be able to close the gap between manual extraction and 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 automation automated deployment and then uh, uh, my team did did another uh, presentation at B-Sides uh, San Francisco SF uh, again looking at the specific topic uh, but but like using some 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 more advanced NLP techniques uh, like word to vec and doc to vec uh, uh, techniques. So if you're if you're if you're interested, definitely uh, take a take a take a take a look at this body of knowledge. Uh, the second topic I uh, of of like challenge that that like needs to be addressed within the CTI world is around heuristics and bias. Uh, anytime you have a, a, a heavily or highly uh, Human-driven process uh, biases biases bound to bound to uh, enter right. You have intellectual bias. You make decisions based on what you know about or what you've done. Uh, there can be emotional bias where you're making decisions based on experiences and and interactions. Uh, and then you have the cognitive bias right, making decisions based on simplifying your thought process, relying too heavily on 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 just a single piece of piece of information. And and uh, and if you uh, like thinking fast and slow is is a book that I that that I have uh, I have learned a lot from and, and and I keep going back to that book again and again to to better understand how we can take the concepts and ideas that were talked about uh, uh, as part of thinking fast and slow into 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 this world and and so when decision making and inference is still largely driven by by in intuition uh, we need to bring about statistical inference tools that make uh, this inference more accessible. Right? Like when you think about the statistics body of knowledge, 
it looks like something on the left, right? Uh, what operators really want is an ans answer to things like, is this evidence relevant? Should I prioritize this, this analysis? Does this new, new evidence change what I previously knew, right? And so, and so to be able to bridge the gap between uh, what the statistics body of knowledge looks like and, and what the operators need is, is, is like, again, a, a, an, an open space fertile open space where uh, addressing this problem can can like really have a big impact on on the operational needs of SOX today. And so this is also something that, that I've done, done uh, some research on and have published uh, at Shmukon 27. Uh, we talked about how do you use uh, graph, 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 graph databases and, and, uh, and a posteriori likelihoods to, to, be, to be able to predict if a certain IOC belongs to a specific uh, malware family. And, and, and we did some similar work uh, that was presented at Black Hat Arsenal in 2017. And then the third challenge I wanna just uh, briefly touch upon is around information sharing and, and intelligence exchange. Uh, cybersecurity is what I call a team sport. Uh, as much as organizations compete with each other on the business side, uh, on the cybersecurity front, it it definitely is uh, uh, more more and more of a team sport where where organizations are trying to collaborate uh, and 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 exchange their learnings with 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 each other. And so uh, into this mix uh, have come these things called information sharing and analysis centers, ISACs and ISALs. Uh, they're they're typically nonprofit organizations that provide a central resource for gathering intelligence as well as uh, for for providing two-way sharing of information between private and public sector, right? So there are plenty of ISACs out there. Some are more focused on on sectors like auto ISAC, uh, financial services ISAC. Uh, some are focused more more on what I would call um, uh, uh, interest groups. So the medical ISAL, the the research and and, and education network, uh, Ren Ren ISAC, uh, and and so. When you when you when you when you look at intelligence exchange, there's two company analysts that are trying to exchange intelligence between between each other to these ISACs, uh, and some concerns that come up as part of the exchanges. Uh, obviously, there's privacy protection controls that that need to be uh, embedded as part of this exchange process. Uh, anonymity, data interoperability. How do you integrate? Right, going back to the integration problem. Uh, Sharing controls. There, there's this notion of traffic light protocols (TLP). Uh, being a TLP today is 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 more is more of a self-monitored uh, protocol. But how do you how do you how do you how do you make it make it more more automated and operational? Uh, and then evaluating quality and relevance. Again, these are these are these are all challenges that 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 need to be uh, addressed so that. We are not doing this at human scale, but we can do this a little bit more at um, in a in a machine-driven way, uh, especially given the amount of information that that we are seeing. And and so uh, just 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 want to wrap up, uh, keeping keeping an eye on time. Um, you can definitely try this at home. None of this none of this is is uh, is 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 only within the realm of uh, of uh, commercially off-the-shelf products, right? Uh, OpenCTI is is an open source platform that 
that that that you can go and download today, and they have a fantastic demo where you can see uh, how you can uh, store, organize, and share uh, threat cyber uh, cyber threats. Uh, the threat intelligence source source list uh, uh, it's a it's it's effectively a GitHub uh, repo that is that is that is maintained uh, by 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 cybersecurity analysts, which has a fantastic list of open source and closed source slash proprietary uh, threat threat intel lists. Uh, Elastic Intel uh, is uh, is a, is another open source project that was uh, that was that was built based on Elasticsearch, but to address the problem of threat intel aggregation. Again, you can you can you can go and download this and start playing with it yourself. And then there's uh, MISP, which is an open source sharing platform, and Yeti, your everyday threat intelligence, which is another threat intelligence repository. Uh, point being, there's if you if you, if you want to get your hands dirty and start and start trying out these different tools, there are definitely plenty available out there. Uh, and 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 I would recommend that as you are as you're thinking through uh, CTI capabilities and challenges, uh, look look to look to look to first get your get your hands dirty with these. And so. And so, just some just some takeaways, right? Around um, making CTI more operational and and just 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 being aware of challenges, uh, the landmines that typically don't get talked about uh, uh, within the CTI world. Uh, start small, identify a use case, and map your CTI capabilities to it. To collect, normalize, prioritize, analyze, and the and the and the, and the integration capabilities. Uh, take a use case, phishing. Uh, ransomware, crypto mining, whatever it may be, uh, and then and then identify how you map CTI capabilities to it. Uh, front load the data discussions, sources, ontology. Uh, how do you make it useful within your data workflows? Uh, again, this is this is a discussion that happens way too late in the game. Uh, these these need to be front loaded. I know nobody nobody likes talking about taxonomies and and ontologies, but but it's but it's hypercritical. Uh, there are plenty of standards and analytical models to choose from. Uh, right? Standing on the shoulders of giants is how you can look further. There is there is there is no need to 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 uh, re recreate the wheel. Um, and so, pick the standard uh, and then and then work with it. And then uh, see solving CTI problems as a, as a team sport. Uh, there's a high degree of collaboration among competing enterprises. Uh, join an ISAC or an or an ISA. And uh, and yeah. Uh, this space requires uh, uh, driven in, driven uh, people uh, who, who want to make a difference, and uh, I just gave you a little slice of some of the some of the interesting unsolved problems, uh, and there's and there's plenty plenty more. So, a uh, number of different ways for you to get involved. So with that, uh, thank you. Uh, that was that was at the end of my presentation. Uh, and and yeah, if you if you want to get in touch with me, that's my email. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, uh, but I do want to keep some time for questions. That's great. Thank you, Shimon. That was really interesting. I enjoyed that uh, that quite a bit. I think you should be very proud of that Purdue education. So anyway, um, at this point in time, I do not see any questions. So if you do have a question, please uh, type it into the Q and A function on the WebEx. And I'll just take a moment to remind everyone that these sessions are all being recorded and you'll be able to view them on the Sirius website and the Sirius YouTube channel. So we will, uh, we will have the full complement uh, uh, recorded and stored there. 
Um, next week will be our last of the summer series. So uh, next Wednesday at one o'clock, we'll have another one o'clock Eastern. We'll have our final session for the summer series and uh, watch this space. We will be uh, running a series of uh, seminars during the school year as well. When the fall semester starts, we'll be, we'll be ramping up again. So I just want to make sure everyone knows about that. So I do not have a question yet. Shimon, Mike, have you seen anything? No, I've not seen anything. Okay. Well, again, I'll uh, if if no questions pop up, I'll uh, I'll just once again thank Shimon for spending the time with us. We really appreciate your oh, your. Uh, we do we do have one, oh. uh, Jerry. I have one in the chat here. Okay. Um. Let's see. So, um, Courtney says, you gave some good tip op options um, or TIP options. There are free ones like OpenCTI and pay ones like ThreatQ. Do you have suggestions for how organizations can try products and involve and evolve the solutions they might need? I think maybe answer that at the end of your. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy, happy to go. Happy to go over that again. Uh, and and this, this is a question that comes up again and again. And and yes, uh, uh, tip uh, threat intelligence platform uh, is, is 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 what that stands for. Um, and the the thing that I always um, always recommend uh, organizations to think through is like three main things. One is integration. How how well will the particular solution be it open source or a commercially off the shelf product? Uh, integrate with the existing workflow that you have and the existing toolings that you have. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is hyper, hypercritical, and it's one of the least talked about uh, challenges, right? So number, number one is integration. Number two, I would say, is, is, is really uh, looking, looking at uh, what kind of standards do they use as part of, part of their data, uh, data storage? Uh, do they do they have a lock on how they how they formulate the data and store it, or is it is it pretty pretty easy to to access the data once uh, once once it's been collected, right? Uh, so products that either open source or commercial, if they if they uh, uh, support standards, uh, that's fantastic. And the third thing I would say. Uh, which, which again, not not a not a lot of people uh, talk about this documentation. How much information will be available to you uh, to be able to to embed that particular tip into into your uh, into your workflow, right? Uh, I know it seems trivial. It's like documentation, really. Uh, but but I'll tell you this. Uh, at some point, some bespoke scripts will need to be written, uh, and and to and to and to make it make it make it all work together. Uh, that documentation is going to be be super super relevant, and 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 so the way I would I would re recommend once you have kind of created your rubric of evaluation criteria is take a use case that is super important to your organization, and run tabletop exercise uh, using uh, using whichever uh, tips that you're you're considering. 
And it could be, like I said, fishing use case. It could be crypto mining. It could be uh, looking at your at your cloud infrastructure for 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 configuration compliance. Uh, whatever it may be, take that use case and run it through a through a tabletop exercise. Great, thank you. Is there any uh, anything else out there people would like to ask before we close? Okay, well, there you can uh, see on the screen our strategic partners, uh, and uh, that, that's a, a list. There's, uh, hopefully we'll be adding more to that list as time goes on, but I do want to thank everyone for coming today, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody next week when we do our final uh, summer session. So with that, I guess we'll close. So thank you so much for participating. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Take care.